Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Well, it's a great privilege this morning. Uh, we've got our guest speaker, Pastor David Shepherd from Hills Baptist. Yeah, ready. That's it. That's faith right there. Uh, five years ago, he started a church uh, with 50 people. And today, five years later, God's blessed him with about 750. And God's using him in a powerful way. I really believe that. And uh, we're going to get a slice of that this morning. So put your seatbelt on. Get ready for the Word of God from David Shepherd. God bless you. Come on. Thank you. Thanks, team. That was amazing. Hello, everyone. How are you all? Wow, that sounded great. How are you all? Good. I hope you're doing better than that. How are we all? Yeah. There we go. Fantastic. My name is Dave, and it is a privilege to be here. Let's start the right way. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to pray. And uh, we're going to give this to the Lord. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good God that you are a sovereign Lord, and Lord, we thank you that your word is alive. And Lord, I pray that you would just use this vessel to bring your treasure into the hearts of your people. Lord, we're not here to celebrate a person, um, we're here to celebrate you and you alone. And Lord, I pray that no one leaves here talking about how great the band was, the speaker was, the food was, the coffee was. We leave here talking about how great our God is. And Lord, we just give you honour and we give you praise, we give you worship, and we invite you now to speak. So come, Lord Jesus. We're ready, we're willing, we're waiting. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. We just speak into the Spirit now and we just cast aside anything that would hinder. Lord, we just rebuke anything that would hinder, that would come against the Word of God taking root in our lives. We just reject it, we rebuke it. In Jesus' name, we declare an open heaven. We give you praise this morning. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Say hello to the person next to you for two seconds. And we're going to get stuck into the Word of God. So, um... It's great to be here with you guys. My name is, is Dave. I, uh, yeah, I was a, pri- I almost said primary school. I was a high school teacher uh, teaching phys ed and Christian studies um, for 10 years and felt the Lord just slowly calling us. My wife's here as well. I just honour her as well. She's a wonderful woman of God. You're not going to see her up on the stage and she's already cringing that I've mentioned her name, but... Uh, I can't do what I do without her. So, um, yeah, we give God praise for that. And, uh, yeah, so five years ago, we had the joy of sort of stepping out of teaching and into ministry. And we, we planted a church and God's been so faithful and so good in that space. And another ministry that we, we started was this ministry called Ignite Ministries, um, which some of you might be aware of, which is really a heart uh, just to see God revive this land. You know, fundamentally, and just this deep conviction that 
as the people of God come together and we drop denomination and we drop preference and we drop all the sacred cows that we've made in the church and we simply just fall on our knees and we give him praise and we give him worship arm in arm with you know the flag-waving Pentecostal going for it, standing next to the staunch Lutheran whose arms are firmly folded, uh, but both are praising God and it's beautiful. And when we see that, we just have this deep conviction that when the church walks together in unity, it commands a blessing and we will see the favour of God poured out on this nation and see transformation and change. And so that's really uh, the heart of that ministry. And so I just felt today, I felt the Lord just uh, put on my heart. I actually had two dreams, interestingly enough, where I went to bed one night and that's what I'm going to preach on. The Lord just rebuked that in a dream and then I changed that and went, I'm going to preach on that and the Lord rebuked that in a dream. And then I landed on this and I felt like God said, yep, this is the word for this church in this season. So uh, we're going to talk about revival. We're going to talk about the heart of revival. And um, I don't know if you know, but revival literally in in the dictionary means a restoration to life or consciousness. And when I look at the world that we're living in, when I look at the church in this nation, I wonder if we need a restoration of God consciousness. I wonder if we need an injection of Holy Spirit life to fill the church so that it can be what it was created to be. And when I look at our world, I don't know about you, but I look at this world and man, we need God. You know, just last week I was on the phone for 45 minutes with uh, Jody, who runs a program called Love Adelaide and there is a bill in Parliament right now which is seeking to allow abortion up to full term. In our state, in our city, like our world is in a really difficult, interesting place where we are turning away from God in droves. The latest census we had said that 50% of people in our, in our nation would identify as Christian. Only 8% of those attend church once a month. So there's become a religious spirit in this nation. We're comfortable, we're cosy, and we're happy, but we're far from the heart of God. And our nation needs an awakening. Our nation needs a restoration to life and consciousness in God. And really, that's the heart of what... That's my heart bleeds for it. That we would see this nation stand up in the freedoms that we have been given and we would testify and proclaim who God is and that we would see His Spirit sweep over this land and bring transformation. But it begins with the church. And it begins with the individual people of God encountering God and bringing God the praise that is due his name. And then we watch him move through that. And so here's what I want to speak about today is this heart of revival. And I want to show you from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, there is both a promise and a picture. There's a promise that God gives around revival. And then he gives us a picture of what that promise looks like when it's outworked. Are you with me? So we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where Solomon has built the temple, this glorious, incredible structure, building uh, God, like for God, to God. And he's built this building and then he's dedicating it to the Lord. And it says that the Lord appears to Solomon after the dedication of the temple. And this is what the Lord says to him. He says, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. And when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, 
I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. The promise is that when my people, my people who are called by my name, he's saying, if you're a Christian in here, you are called by his name. And when the church, Christians, when we humble ourselves and when we pray and when we seek his face and when we genuinely long for him more than any other thing in this world, more than any creature comfort, more than anything that we just chase in the West, when we look to him and we chase after him, the promise of God. And the Bible says that in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. The promise of God is that he will hear, and not only will he hear, but he will heal our land. How many of you know this land needs some healing? If the people of God humble themselves and pray, he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal our land. That is the promise, now the picture. And to look at this picture, we're going to go to Second Chronicles 20 in just one of the most magnificent biblical stories. How many of you love an Old Testament story? Man, I, like, I love the Old Testament. I'm reading through First and Second Samuel at the moment. And just, I love the, the Old Testament stories of God just moving and, and, and transforming. And we see this in Second Chronicles 20. Because in Second Chronicles 20, there's a king called Jehoshaphat on the throne of Judah. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. And the, the nation of Israel after Solomon has been divided. We have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And as he is leading the southern kingdom, the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat was a godly man, that he loved the Lord. He was a godly man. And as he is leading this country, trouble comes his way. You see, there's... Uh, these nations, Moab, Amnon, and Mount Seir, these nations who have vast armies have joined forces and they are coming against Jehoshaphat, Judah, the people of God. And I'll read it from verse 1 in chapter 20. It says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites uh, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. And some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is the En Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. I love when the Bible is so understated. Because here we see this vast army coming against King Jehoshaphat and the people of God. And it says... Alarmed. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat. I think Jehoshaphat might have been a bit more than alarmed. You know, the Hebrew word here is yirah, which means petrified. Like this is not, oh gosh, there's a mighty nation coming against me. We're in an awful lot of trouble. I'm a bit alarmed. That's not what this is. Like there is a deep-seated Oh my goodness, like what are we going to do? This, there is a churning and a yearning within of this is too much for us. And I think we need to start recognising the same is true for us in this generation. That as we look at the world, it's so like, are we even alarmed? First and foremost, are we even alarmed at the state of our world? I think as the, the Christians, we're so caught up in just the day-to-day mundane doing what we do. We come to church, we give him praise, we go back off. Are we alarmed at the world? Are we alarmed at the state of the church? Are we alarmed at the fact that there's people we love in our family and there's friends who are far from God? Does that move us? 
Does it stir our spirits and our souls? Because if it doesn't, we have a problem. Because we will never see revival unless the church is alarmed. Unless the church stands up and says, there is something significant that we are battling here. And we need to, we need to be prepared for that. And what I love about this is that Jehoshaphat, in his alarm, in his deep movement of the soul, it says, resolved himself to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And so the whole nation comes and they fast and they pray and they seek God. And there's this amazing thing that Jehoshaphat prays in verse, he goes through if you follow along. And in verse 12, he finishes like this. He says, our God, will you not judge this nation that's coming against us? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. How many of you know that when the church's eyes are on God, he'll do the impossible? We need to recognize that actually sometimes it's an impossible situation. I can't change anyone's life. You can't change anyone's life. In and of our own strength, we cannot bring revival to this land. We can't just get up there with eloquence and wisdom and charisma. Like how many times have you had a debate with someone? You've given this beautiful, logical, theologically rich argument and you're like, there's no way anyone can uh, negatively respond to that and yet it doesn't do anything. Because unless the Spirit of God is on it, unless God moves and God transforms someone's life, there's nothing we can do in our own, in, and of our own power. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. We need to chase after who He is and we need to say, God... Our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So here's what we are going to do. We're going to pray and we're going to seek you and we're going to humble ourselves before you and we're going to chase after you and just lie at your feet in adoration. And so the nation of Judah does this. They humble themselves and they pray and word comes. And I love this. It says, uh, the word comes, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. So tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz and you'll find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. So take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance of God. Do you notice anything in that? Anything weird? What a prophecy. You don't have to fight this battle. God's going to do it. The battle is the Lord's. We're like, hallelujah. Amen. The battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. Fantastic. Praise God. He says, so go. Take up your positions. I beg your pardon? <laughs> you just said the battle's God's, but you're calling me to take up my position. And then he reminds me again, no, the Lord's going to bring a great victory. Yes. Amen. So go, take up your positions, stand firm, and then see the deliverance. This is, this is crazy, and this is what we're called to do. God says, I'm the one who fights the battle. I'm the one who brings about transformation and change. I'm the one who brings revival in the land. But I want to use you, and I will do it when you, by faith, go out and advance against the enemy. When you don't just sit here inside the walls of Jerusalem. So often in the church, we come in our buildings and we give God praise and we'll pray and we'll cry out to God and we'll do what Jehoshaphat and Judah did. But will we go? 
Will we go out and face the enemy and face the adversary? And will we take up our stand against the devil's schemes and stand firm in faith? Because it wasn't enough for Judah just to pray. They needed to pray. They needed to humble themselves. The church needed to get hungry for God, but they had to go. And it reminds me of when Jesus is uh, commissioning the church and he says to Peter, hey, you're Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And guess what, Peter? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against you. Interestingly, it says gates. Have you ever thought about that? Because a gate is a defensive weapon. When was the last time you went for a run or a walk? You're just cruising along the footpath and a gate just jumped out by itself and smacked you and you're like... Jeepers, where did that come from? Has it ever happened to anyone? No, because gates are not offensive weapons. Gates don't advance. Gates hold firm a position. Friends, hear this. It says the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. That means the church is supposed to advance against the kingdom of darkness. So often I think the church is cowering in a corner, being like, Jesus, protect me, please. Protect me, Holy Spirit. Protect me, Lord. Just keep me safe. When was that ever prayed in the early church? Never. It was, Lord, give us boldness. Give us boldness when the enemy would come against us. We're not supposed to cower in the corner. Yes, it's an intimidating gate at times, but we're called to know that's what it is. It's a gate. And if we stop cowering and start advancing, we'll be the battering ram that God has called us to be advancing against. And the promise is those gates won't prevail, which means they won't stand which means by the power of God, the gates will come crumbling down and we'll see the kingdom of God advancing against the kingdom of darkness. This is what we are called to. And so he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Go, take up your stand. Take up your position against this vast army. And then watch this. This is so good. Verse 20, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. So they go, facing an army So much greater than them. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you'll be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord. For his love endures forever. Okay, (laughs) you didn't get it. they're, They're about to face a vast army. They have an army, well trained, physically imposing soldiers. And Jehoshaphat says, You blokes, you get at the back, singers, come on. I want you to come and lead the army. You're going to be on the front line. And you can hear every singer here be like, oh, <coughs> I think I'm coming down with something. I'm just not, I'm not sure I'm quite ready to, uh, to sit. Like, I know we need to sing loudly, but my throat, like my voice, it, like yesterday I was doing this and like, they're just making excuses. Like, I'm not prepared for this. I'm a singer. I'm not a soldier. You're going to put me at the front of the line and all the soldiers are back like, Bro, I didn't train all my life to be behind the singer 
The singer who's going to like, look at him, he's like five foot ten, I'm six foot four, full of muscle. I've been training my whole life. You're going to take this moment from me? He's like, yeah, I am going to take this moment from you because it's not about your strength. It's about my power made perfect in your weakness. And so the singers go out. The singers. And watch this. The singers, full of faith and confidence, maybe trembling as well because that's okay. And they stand there and it says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord said, ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated as the singers took up their praise, as the singers took up their song, as the singers of Judah declared the mighty praises of God. Could you imagine how foolish they looked? All this army standing in front of them, the singers come forward, Oh, sing to the God of the ages. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this army just turns on each other. They're like, what? And this army starts destroying each other. And they're like, sing to the God of the ages. And they start belting this thing. And then the army starts fighting. And then they're like, what the heck is God doing in this place? And the army completely destroys each other. And the Bible says they then spend three days collecting the plunder. Three days. Collecting the plunder of what God had done. As they prayed, as they praised, they saw the power of God to bring about the plunder of the kingdom. When God's people humbled themselves and prayed, sought first his face and then let out a powerful praise. But I want you to understand something. This praise isn't any kind of praise. You see, this praise is a sacrifice of praise. It's easy to praise God inside the walls of Jerusalem. When I have the big wall protecting me, when I'm comfortable and cosy, when my life is going well, it's easy to give God a shout of praise. It's a very different thing to exit the protection and the comfort of the walls, to stand in the presence of my enemy and to still shout praise. And there's a word for the church There's a word for the church right here that we need to learn to bring a sacrifice of praise because it's the sacrifice of praise that contains the power of God for transformation. When the church picks up the sacrifice of praise, when it prays and it praises, that's when revival seeds are sown. I want you to see something in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. Why is this praise powerful? Why is it that the praise brings about victory? What is it about this praise? And in Hebrews 13, 15, the author shows us something. He says, therefore, uh, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Praise is a fruit. Where does fruit come from? A tree. Where does a tree come from? A seed. Praise is therefore the product of a seed. What is the seed? The seed, Bible tells us this, the word of God is seed. When the word of God gets into us, when we hear the word of God and it takes root, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When the, when the word of God takes root and it germinates and it throws down its roots and it starts to sprout faith... Faith, when it is mature, will bring forth fruit and that fruit will be praise. 
You cannot have genuine, authentic, true faith that has gone through some stuff and is still there without praise. If we don't have praise, we don't have faith because praise is the fruit of faith. And I want you to catch this because when we, when we praise, what do we know about if, if praise is the fruit of lips that openly confess his name? What happens when you cut fruit in half? What is inside of the fruit? More seed. And we just said that the seed is the word of God. What do we know about the word of God? We know that the word of God is alive and active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We know that we're supposed to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so I want you to understand something is that when we begin to praise, despite my predicament, when I begin to lift up a sacrifice of praise, that praise has power because that praise comes from seed and that seed is a sword. And that sword is alive and active and it's sharper than any other sword. And there's something about praise which begins to swing the sword of the Spirit unlike any other action we can do as the church. There's power when the people of God learn to praise God despite their predicament. Because when the people in your lives who don't know the Lord see you giving praise in your prosperity, they're like, good on you. But when they see you giving praise from the middle of a prison, when they see you giving praise in your poverty, then there's something about that, that that cuts to dividing soul and spirit. There's something about that praise which transforms and changes people. That's our weapon. That's the weapon the church carries, prayer and praise, a sacrifice of praise. Would we be a people who learn instead of lamenting all the time when things don't go my way, I get bad news, praise Jesus. I don't know what's going on, but my eyes are on you. Let's follow Jehoshaphat's lead. I don't know what to do in this situation. When cancer comes, when crisis comes, when poverty comes, when my business is struggling, when my relationships are struggling, when things are Everything's falling down around me. Can we pick up praise? Because as we pick up praise, we start to swing the sword and God will do immeasurably, abundantly more than we hope or imagine. As we learn to pick up praise. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And I want you to see something. With, with the sacrifice of praise comes the plunder. As Judah brings the sacrifice of praise and the Lord brings about the victory. It's not just a victory and go home. Uh Uh-uh. There's plunder. There's plunder. Three days they're collecting the plunder. And I want to ask this question, what does that plunder look like in our generation? What is the plunder for the church? And to show you, we have to go to Acts chapter 16. Oh, this is good. You're going to love this. (laughs) Acts chapter 16. It's such an awesome story. It's Paul and Silas. You guys know Paul and Silas? And Paul and Silas are having good ministry. Like things are going well for them. They've just been walking to prayer. It says that this woman with a demonic spirit was following them for five days. Paul and Silas, are they're doing ministry. Life's good. They're on their way to prayer. And then eventually they just turn around to her and Paul just says, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And it says the spirit leaves immediately. That's fruitful ministry. You with me? Matt, like, I'd love to be doing that. Just cruising along like, you get out in Jesus' name and just 
spirits flee. That's good ministry. And you would think that when you're doing good ministry like that, that the Lord would pour out blessing. You would think that when ministry is good, when you're faithfully following Jesus and you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that would, with that would come prosperity, with that would come blessing, with that would come a greater platform, people would start to notice you. This is what we would say in the West we would expect with good ministry. But that's not what happens to Paul and Silas. Because in Acts chapter 16, it tells us that the owners of that slave girl with the spirit were ticked off. And it says that they had Paul and Silas beaten and flogged after being stripped naked and then thrown to the inner room of a prison. And again, we read this stuff and we just gloss over it because that's what we do. We've heard the story before. Oh, yeah, they were beaten and flogged and went into a prison. Fantastic. You need to put yourself in their shoes. Like they're beaten with rods. This is not a gentle spanking, friends. This is not a naughty Paul. Go on your way. That's not what this is. They've got rods. These guys have got broken ribs. They've probably got like their lungs are bruised. Their faces would be completely messed up. Broken jaw, broken cheek. Blood would be pouring from their faces. They are in a really bad way. And then they're thrown into the inner room of a prison. Now, this isn't a prison like our church visits Mobilong Prison, does prison ministry. That's a pretty comfy prison. That's not what this is. Think the inner room of a dungeon. It's pitch black. It's freezing cold. It's stone. There's rats everywhere. It is filthy, disgusting place. And here they are, beaten, bloodied, bruised. And they're in the inner room of a prison. And in this moment, you have to recognize that the voice of the enemy is sitting on Paul's shoulders and it's saying, look at you. What good has your ministry done now? Where is your God in this place? I'm going to invite the band up. Where's your God? I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if you've ever been in that place. And Paul would have been sitting there and this voice would have been speaking to him. This voice would have been saying, just curse God and die. But then in verse 25, it says something interesting. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Man to be a fly on the wall in that moment. Something inside of Paul, this seed that he had in the midst of everything he's going through at midnight. I think that midnight's more than a time. I think that midnight's a place of mind. There's a metaphorical midnight in there that everyone goes through at some point in their life. And just before it was midday and he's casting out devils and life's good, sun's shining. Now he's midnight, the middle of a dungeon, beaten, bloodied and bruised. It's midnight. I wonder if you've ever been in midnight. And in this moment, it says they began singing hymns to God. And I just can't help but think there's Paul with the enemy speaking against him 
just returns to that seed of faith. And I just think he just has a moment where he goes, nah, my God is greater. I can't help picture him very quietly because he's broken. Just start to sing. And maybe he goes, remember how my God has never failed, never failed us. Remember how my God just quietly, just gently starts singing this song. He will make a way. He'll make a way. And I can't help but think maybe in this moment, Silas has a human moment. He looks at his ministry hero, his brother in the faith, the guy he's just journeyed with and just has a moment where he's like, oh, for God's sake, Paul, shut up. Really? We're in prison. It's midnight. Can't you just give it a rest? Can't we just lament for a moment? Can't we do that for a moment? But then he hears Paul, whose courage is growing. And Paul starts to lift his voice a little bit. And he just starts to sing. We're going to sing this bridge, actually. Can you guys sing this with me? And it just starts to rise a bit. Remember how our God has never failed, never failed us. Remember that His name will make a way, He'll make a way from the cross to the grave. He is risen and He reigns. Praise the Lord, singing His praise. Silas oh I reckon Silas because the Bible says he was a great orator I think something in Silas goes oh yeah he returns to that scene, Silas isn't like Paul though, he's not singing gently, are you with me? oh no, Silas isn't singing gently, he's going up the octave he's going loud, he's like yeah Paul, he has never failed us and I reckon even with the stocks on his feet he tries to sort of climb up And he starts proclaiming this thing. And all of a sudden, instead of it being one timid voice, it's two growing voices. And they're in a dungeon. It's the reverb in that room. Oh, my goodness. And it's bouncing off of these stone walls. And we're going to join with it. We stand to our feet. And they start to sing this. Remember how our God is here. Remember, remember. 
praise goes up, look what happens in the, mid, in the middle of midnight. In the middle of midnight when they're singing this song and the prisoners are listening to them, it says suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. But that's not the miracle. That's not the blunder. Do you know what? There's going to be seasons in your life when you let out the sacrifice of praise and you see the miraculous breakthrough of God to loose your chains and open your prison doors. But that's not the purpose of your prison. Because Paul understood that God had allowed him to be in that place for a reason. He put him there for a purpose. And that purpose wasn't so that he could grunt and moan. It was because God had plunder in the midst of the prison. And so it says, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself because he thought that escaped. But Paul and Silas hadn't gone anywhere. They hadn't used that opportunity to escape. It says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your whole household. And they spoke the word of God to him and the others in their house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. And immediately he and his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them to his house at a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. He and his whole household. Friends, the plunder is souls. The plunder is people. When the people of God learn to pick up a sacrifice of praise, God may well break your chains. God may well loose your doors. I'm praying He does, but He will bring about a sacrifice from your lips to bear fruit, which is the prosperity of eternity in people's lives. He will bring about the salvation of souls as you learn to bring a sacrifice of praise because it's not about you, it's about Him. It's not about your comfort, it's about His kingdom. He's in the kingdom building business and He's inviting us to participate in that. That we would learn to be a people who are so enamored, so overawed with Him that in the middle of our midnight, we would pick up our praise and we would see the deliverance of the Lord in the lives of the lost. He's in a kingdom building business and I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what prison you may well be in or maybe you're in the comfort of Jerusalem and you're like, hey, life's good. Well, you listen to the voice of God because He's going to call you out. And if He calls you out, you say, yes, Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by Your Spirit. And if you're in your prison, if you're in your midnight moment right now, hear the word of the Lord. It is time to pick up a sacrifice of praise because there is a purpose to your prison. God is going to loose some chains. God is going to open some doors and God is going to save some souls for His glory, for His name, for His kingdom's rule and reign. And so this is what we're going to do right here, right now as a church. We're going to start this off right now. We're going to give him a sacrifice of praise. And we're going to start here in the walls of Jerusalem and sing together and encourage each other and worship our great God. But the encouragement to you is what does it look like tomorrow? What does it look like on Tuesday? What does it look like on Wednesday? Can we continue to praise God in the presence of our enemies?
Can we continue to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which is the fruit of the lips, which openly profess His name in a proclamation of praise, that we would see the swinging of that sword against our adversary, and we would see the enemy's gates come busting down, and we would see the kingdom of God advance because you picked up a sacrifice. Praise. Let's sing this together. great word. My faith's been moved. Has your faith been moved? Yeah. Now faith is action. And I think we need to go into action now. If God's called for revival, it starts with us and we need to go out. And we need to have fruit on our lips. And wherever we go today or wherever we go tomorrow, wherever we go to school or to work or in our homes, we need to have fruit. We need to have the praise of the Lord on our lips. Let that be. Let it be. Our challenge this week and from this day onwards to always have, in whatever circumstance, the praise of the Lord on our lips. Let's do that. Let's do that in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you. Have a great week. And we'll see you next week. God bless you.